Welcome back to QAVTK. This is episode 608. We're recording on the 21st of February 2023. It's a lovely Tuesday in Brisbane, a little bit grey in the skies, a little bit cooler than it has been of late. How's the weather down at Cape Shank, TK? Lovely. No, the weather's great. It's cooled off a little bit. It's uh, sunny now, a little bit windy, but um, yeah, just loving it at Cape Shank. It's low 20s and sunny. And uh, your health is on the mend? Yeah, thank you. I really think long COVID's a thing, but I'm getting better every day. Went for a walk today. Played golf in the cart yesterday. So, uh, yeah, just it's kind of like uh, the volume's just being dialed up each day as everything returns to normal. So thank you. Yes, no, on the mend. That's good. Well, I wish I could say the same thing about the market, Tony. It's, uh, it's suffering from long COVID, I think. It's been a choppy week, took a big hit this morning when the market opened, has recovered a little bit since then. It uh, closed yesterday around about 7.552, dropped down to 7.511 this morning and then sort of has recovered to 7.554, still down from yesterday. I know in Australia in the last week we've had a lot of uh, rather disappointing uh, earnings statements, results coming out from a range of companies. Market doesn't seem to be very happy with a lot of the earnings that are coming out. Some some surprises in there that I know you might want to talk about a bit later. Yeah, I, I think um, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but they do keep stats on how many companies beat their earnings. And even though it's more than half this reporting period, it's I think it's lower than what it normally is. So I forget the numbers now. Say 70% of companies normally beat their consensus estimates. It's now, you know, less than that. So that's one of the things which I think is weighing heavily on the market. Some companies aren't giving outlooks, which is also weighing heavily on the market. Like if you've always given an outlook and you don't give one, <laughs> the market that thinks, well, you're expecting bad news or you just don't know. It's too up in the air. The other thing I'll say is there's just been another horse sale at uh, in Sydney and I've been offered lots of cheap horses to buy. And I was just speaking with one of the studs on the phone before we started recording and he was saying that he feels the sales uh, have dropped 20% just in the last month. So it's not a great indicator for where the economy's going usually. Yeah, well, uh, let's look at the portfolio updates. Dummy portfolio since inception, which for new listeners is the 2nd of September 2019. According to Nevexa, up 15.7% CAGA per annum uh, over that period, down from where we've been of late, which is more like 18% CAGA. And versus the benchmark, the STW, which is up 7.41% per annum over the same period of time. So we're still doing double market, even though we've come back a little bit. Got a, quite a few dividends that are uh, sort of in the wings as well that'll kick in if we don't sell those stocks over the next sort of month or so. They go X, but uh, FBU, your uh, your pull pork <laughs> last week, Tony, uh, continued the trend of the pull pork kibosh. It crashed through. It didn't crash through. It slide slid gently below its <laughs> three point trend line sell this morning. We hold it in the light portfolio, and I haven't sold it yet today because it's just been hovering around its three-point trend line sell <laughs> marker, and it looks like it's it's going to come back over it, but uh, then it doesn't, and 
11 o'clock this morning, Sydney time, I thought, oh, it was like one cent or two cents off it below. And I was like, ah, I'll just hold on until I get back from Kung Fu. And I got back from Kung Fu and it was another cent down. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'll just wait until I do the podcast and I'll see how it is at the uh-huh. close of business. Yeah, I'll wait till tomorrow, see how it resolves. <laughs> In my defence, I didn't re- I didn't select FBU. Someone requested it, so I'm just the mouthpiece. I'm not sure if it's my kibosh. It is. It's it's when you talk about these things <laughs> that you put the kibosh kibosh on them. So our apologies <laughs> to Fletcher's uh, building group there for Tony crashing the share price. Monetary tightening in the US uh, has apparently been sending Wall Street lower, uh, according to the Fin Review and ASX technology stocks have been um, affected by that. I don't really know why ASX tech stocks are affected by US monetary tightening. I assume it's got something to do with uh, investment companies in the US that are investing in Australian stocks that are pulling their belts in or something. How are those two things connected, Tony? Well, when they say monetary policy in the US, they're talking about interest rates, and so interest rates are still rising. I did speak last week about the fact that the market kind of gets ahead of itself and thinks that the interest rate rises are either coming to an end or potentially will be followed by interest rate cuts later on this year or early next year. And so that gets people excited again to invest in tech stocks and high growth stocks because they think interest rates coming down will improve their discounted cash flows for those companies and their valuations for those companies. And it's going to be free and easy money again, so you may as well take the risk. But uh, the market keeps getting a bit of a dose of reality with all this stuff. And uh, whatever happens in the US with the NASDAQ is going to impact on Australian tech stocks as well. So why? A lot of these stocks are what they call relatively priced. So it's a bit like the housing market. We know what it costs to build a house, but the houses that we buy sell for a lot more than that, which is the land value, I guess. But how do you value the cost of the land because if you put a house on it and it gets a 3% yield, you wouldn't pay as much for it if you're just buying it for business reasons. So because you can get more than 3% yield in the in the bank by putting your money in the bank these days. So why would you just you know, outlay a, a whole heap for a house and then rent it out for 3%? And what real estate agents will argue if you ask them to value your house is they'll go and pull up all the comparative sales in the in the market recently. You know, this house down the street sold for this price and this one's also got three bedrooms and it's the same size as yours on the same block of land in the same suburb. So there's a lot of relatively relative pricing going on. And that's the same thing, particularly with tech stocks, because how do you value them? No assets. And the, all the profits are in the future. How long in the future? Who knows? So you value them on relative metrics. You know, we've got this many customers versus this company in the tech stock in the States, which has this many customers. And therefore, on a revenue per customer basis, it's worth X times. So that's that t- tends to be how they get value. Right. So it's just a little bit of fudgery-wudgery. Yeah, look, and, and all this stuff, it's, it's classic noise. Just don't listen to the short-term noise and what the market did yesterday and all that stuff. It's just so not important, really. I mean, yeah, there are big things afoot. I'm not saying that there aren't trends afoot that are going to, you know, make it easier or harder for us to invest, like interest rates rising. But to look at 
what the market thinks interest rates are going to do today versus yesterday is just going to turn you in knots. Well, that's the thing that always makes me scratch my head is the market seems to be buoyant one day and then depressed <laughs> the next day. I'm like, well, really, what changed? Like, did, did somebody die overnight? What, <laughs> what, what's so different today as of yesterday? It's not like you didn't know that the economy was tough or this was happening or that was happening. What, what's the big news that happened overnight that made you go from buoyant to depressed? And I can never work it out. And that's Mr. Market, as Ben Graham said over 100 years ago, the manic depressive neighbour who comes to your house every day and offers you a different price for the same asset. Nothing's changed. But, and what tends to drive the market, if you want those, want an answer to those short-term gyrations, it tends to be whatever data set just gets released. So the, there are stats coming out all the time, particularly in the US, about oh, arcane things like non-farm payrolls, you know, how, much, how, many, how many steel workers are employed all that kind of thing. And then economists will hyperventilate and extrapolate, blow a lot of hot air about what that means for the future of the civilised world, and the market will adjust. And it's really really not that important. Well, on our buy list this week, we noted that iron ore is a buy again. But on the same day, there was a filthy article in Rear Window about Andrew Forrest, the uh, well, he's not the CEO, the executive chairman of Forrest Metals Group, written by Joe Aston. Fortescue Metals Group. Isn't that what I said? No, you said Forrest Metals Group. He'd love it to be called Forrest Metals Group, I'm sure, <laughs> but it's called Fortescue. Fortescue Metals Group, my apologies. Uh, written by Joe Aston in the Financial Review, entitled Andrew Forrest Insane in the Membrane, where he was just basically talking about an earnings call that they had, Executive Chairman Andrew Forrest exhibits all the signs of a man hanging onto reality by a very thin thread. He began by assuring participants, I'll be gladly handing over to CEO Mark Hutchinson of FFI, the Fortescue Future Industries, and FMG CEO Fiona Hick, so you won't hear much from me before completely dominating proceedings. His homespun over-familiarity, the fake rapport, the simulated affection, the random and inappropriate love-bombing of people was laid on thicker than ever. And then he goes on with some quotes, and uh, it was uh, much like the nanotube in Elizabeth Holmes' magical blood machines, the membrane will change the world. He was talking about some magical membrane that they've got. Apparently, Forrest said, talking about um, some breakthrough that they've made in Fortescue Future Industries, which will be able to produce sizable volumes of green metallics out of our own iron ore without producing CO2. Let me just say, Forrest Tees, to give a clue to all our competitors out there, it uses a membrane, and they're going to have to come and talk to us if they want to borrow the membrane. Aston writes, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, much like the nanotube in Elizabeth Holmes' magical blood machines, the membrane will change the world, though were that the case, the last thing you'd do is talk about it. I have the membrane just quietly, and I'm also flagging to my competitors that I have the membrane. The membrane is Forrest's secret source, like Hamish Douglas's downside protection TM. More likely, Forrest is insane in the membrane. What did you think of all of that, Tony? Well, first of all, it's alleged that all these things happen, so we've got to be careful about what we say. But Joe Aston is... Hugely entertaining and oftentimes the only person that talks truth to power in the business press. So I think broadly 
he's basically saying that uh, Andrew Forrest is a terrific salesperson, <laughs> handling the media and handing out the love to all the people that are listening. I think Joe Aston's kind of right when he says that um, Twiggy Forrest has given some indication that they've discovered some sort of particle or process that can make iron all greener, but he's not giving out many details at the moment, so you should be sceptical, and I think that's fair enough. Hopefully, Twiggy Forest has discovered some way of creating iron ore in a you know environmentally better process than what it's been done in the past. But like all these claims, we'll wait and see. Let's let's see it. Aston's got a bunch of alleged quotes from Andrew Forrest during the call. These are quotes to journalists. He's written, all of you can contact me anytime you like. Look, I think you're an excellent journalist and they're great questions. Typically excellent question, mate. You're damn right. If you want to ride, mate, it'll be a great voyage. All these questions, they're showing a lot of vision. They're showing a lot of foresight. Great question, Lachlan. Look, excellent question, Melanie. Nick, great question, mate. You're overdue to shout me a beer. <laughs> I read all that and I thought, sounds like a great bloke. Yeah. <laughs> great salesperson. He's, and he spent his whole career doing that. And to give him his due, I mean, like he could be on the wrong train with the FFI and he's been trying to promote green hydrogen. I don't even know if that's going to work. So, uh, And he's been going around the world signing up lots of second, third world countries to um, provide different things to them. I suspect he's a bit like uh, some of the Middle Eastern countries at the moment. He can see that iron ore is not going to forever be in a boom that it has been in. China's not forever going to expand and grow, which is basically where the iron ore has been going from Australia. And so he's diversifying away, just like, you know, Saudi Arabia is trying to do away from oil. Same sort of process, whether, you know, whether it's green and who knows, he's certainly going that way. And it's whatever it is, it's in its infancy. It's, it's going to, he's seeing a long runway for these things. And he's got a history of seeing far into the future. I mean, he he took on the might of BHP and Rio and became the third powerhouse in iron ore in Australia. And, and to put that in perspective, that's like starting a supermarket and taking on and you know taking huge market share away from Coles and Woolies, or starting a bank from scratch and and you know taking on Combank and NAB and and Westpac and becoming a major force in the banking sector. That achievement is so rare in Australia, where we tend to have duopolies and oligopolies that uh, he has a lot of track record and a, a lot of credibility. So apart from the fact that Joe Aston's pointing out that he's a good salesman and we should be sceptical about some of his claims, he may well be onto something, but uh, who knows? I love Joe Aston's conclusion. What he ultimately wants is for everyone to love him. Not everyone will love Andrew Forrest for being a very successful businessman who dug shit out of the ground and sold it to the Chinese to make steel. That will merely get him a who's who entry as another mercantilist. That's not what Twiggy wants. He wants statues. He wants global acclaim. He wants world peace. He wants the lot because he's effing mad. So he's ending slavery, saving the ocean, building happy abattoirs, being the king of Davos. There is no lane left for him to stay in. There is none because he is swerving all over the effing road. Is it any wonder Guy DeBell crashed his bike just to get the hell out of there, joining the others, tearing their hamstrings down the exit ramp? Well, that's certainly true, and we've spoken about that in the past, that there's been some, I mean, a CFO resigned just before the results were announced, and Guy DeBell, who was a senior banker at the RBA, joined FFI and then quit soon afterwards. So there's, there's something going on there. Joe Aston's right to point out. 
So I guess my question is, iron ore's a buy again, FMG's on the buy list. It's right down the bottom this week, but it's on the buy list. Adding those two things together, plus Joe Aston's article, are you? would you buy FMG? I'm not going to add Joe Aston's article into my considerations because it's his writing for entertainment. But I am cautious because of Guy DeBell's and the CFO's resignation. I think they're red flags. So if it was my last dollar, maybe, but I'm hoping to find something on the buy list a bit higher up to buy first. <laughs> All right. Let me move it along to Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger. All hail Charlie Munger. <laughs> oh, wow. Like this guy, super impressive. As most uh, people listening to this probably know, Charlie Munger not only uh, has a big stake and uh, is one of the co-whatevers of Berkshire Hathaway, he also owns a big chunk of a newspaper called Daily Journal, which has been transitioning from being a newspaper to a technology company. And he, with the interim CEO of Daily Journal, did the sort of live Q&A for their annual general meeting uh, this week. And Charlie, as always, is being interviewed by Becky Quick from CNN. She's passing through the questions, facilitating it. Charlie is 99 years old, and he looks it, uh, but he is so sharp when he's answering these questions Uh, I've only watched about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes of it so far, uh, but I just want to play a little bit of it. There was a question uh, preceding the one I'm about to play where he was asked what he thought about AI and chat GPT, and he gave a fairly cautious response. I'm like, okay, what are you going to ask a 99-year-old guy about AI for? But he said, look, I think there's a lot of possibilities for AI. I think it's it's got a big future ahead of it. He said he doesn't think that it's uh, really something to worry about right now. He he talks about how the technology business destroyed the newspaper business, the Daily Journal's business, and they've they've had to pivot and it's a long, hard slog. But then the the interim CEO of Daily Journal piped up and said he actually thinks that ChatGPT and tools like that are going to have a huge impact on journalism and They've already been using it in their newspaper and experimenting with how to use it to write articles and things like that, which is interesting. But then the next question Becky came up with was apparently written by ChatGPT. Somebody submitted a question that they used ChatGPT to write, and it's about sort of cognitive biases. So let me see if I can make the technology work here and I'll play the question and Charlie's answer. In your experience, what's the most challenging bias to overcome and how do you personally guard against it? So I'd ask your answer to that question and then what you think of the question that GPT, ChatGPT wrote for you. Well, if I had to name one factor that dominates human bad decisions, it would be what I call denial. If the truth is unpleasant enough, people kind of, their mind plays tricks on them and they they think it. It isn't really happening. And of course, that causes enormous destruction of business where people go on throwing money into the way they used to do things, even though it isn't going to work at all well in the way the world is now having changed. And if you want an example of how denial is affecting things, take the world of investment management. How many managers are going to beat the indexes, all costs considered? I would say maybe 5% could consistently beat the averages. 
everybody else is living in a state of extreme denial. They're used to charging big fees and so forth for stuff that isn't doing their clients any good. It's a deep moral depravity. If some widow comes to you with $500,000 and you charge her one point a year for, and you could put her in the indexes, but you need the, the one point. And so people just charge some widow, you know, a considerable fee for worthless advice. And the whole profession is full of that kind of denial. It's everywhere. So, so I had to say, I, I always quote Demosthenes. A long time ago, Demosthenes, that's 2,000, more than 2,000 years ago. And he said, what people wish is what they believe. Think of how much of that goes on. And so, it's, of course, it's hugely important. And you can just see it. I would say the agency costs and money management, there are just so many billions, you can, it's uncountable. And nobody can face it. Who, who wants to you know, keep your kids in school? You, you need the fees. You need the brokerage commissions. You need this or that. So you do what's good for you and bad for them. Now, I, I don't think Berkshire does that. And I don't think we, Garen and I did it at the Daily Journal. Garen and I never took a dime in salary or director's fees or anything. If I have business, I talk on my phone or use my car, I don't charge it to the Daily Journal. That's unheard of. It shouldn't be unheard of. And it goes on in Berkshire, and it goes on in the Daily Journal. But it, we have an incentive plan now in this journal technology. And it has a million dollars worth of Daily Journal stock. That did not come from the company issuing those shares. I gave those shares to the company to use in compensating the employees. And I learned that trick, so to speak, from the guy at BYD, which is one of the securities we hold in our securities portfolio. And BYD, at one time in its history, the founder chairman, he didn't use the company's stock to reward the executives. He used his own stock. And it was a big reward, too. Well, last year, what happened? BYD last year made more than $2 billion after taxes in the auto business in China. Who in the hell makes $2 billion? It was a brand new entrant really in the auto business for all practical purposes. It's incredible what's happened. And so there is some of this old-fashioned capitalist virtue left in the Daily Journal, and there's some left in Berkshire Hathaway, and there's some left in BYD. But, but most places, everybody's trying to take what they need and just rationalizing whether it's deserved or not. So that's a small taste of Charlie at 99. <laughs> Isn't he great? He is good. <laughs> you know, we should reach out to Charlie and try and get him on the podcast for an interview. That would be fantastic. Well, you're going to be over there in a month. So I'll try and line it up. <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, apart apart from the fact that he's 99 and still going strong, he's just as clear as a bell. And just thinking so clearly about everything, isn't he? Just just pointing out where all the problems are in the industry and, and in capitalism and in businesses, listed businesses generally. It's just incredible. Quoting Demosthenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, his breadth and depth of knowledge is just in, incredible. And he's very rarely wrong. I can't think of a time when I've thought that Charlie was wrong or that he came out and apologised for making a mistake. He's, you know, if he says 5% of 
fund managers beat the market, that's probably about the right number. And if he if he thinks that they're overcharging in fees, then they they probably are. Demosthenes, on the other hand, was very wrong. Why is that? Oh, he roused Athens to fight against Philip of Macedon and Philip's <laughs> son Alexander the Great. And pretty sure that they could beat uh, these uh, puny Macedonians and. Athens got crushed and it stayed under the heel of the Macedonians then for a couple of hundred years until the Romans took over and crushed the Macedonians. So anyway, yeah, Demosthenes uh, was a bit of a madman. When we get Charlie on for an interview, you can talk ancient Greek history with him. I will. We'll talk about Demosthenes. Listen, my last point for the news section this week is I've been, as you know, I've been building this... um, guru-focused checklist, predominantly for our American uh, subscribers, um, but I've been testing it against Australian stocks and comparing it to the stock uh, stock doctor checklist. Now, two things I've discovered through this process. Number one, I'm not as good at Excel as I thought I was. Number two, actually, ChatGPT has helped me a lot in solving Excel formula problems. Wow. Yeah, I just throw a formula into ChatGPT and go, can you fix this? And it goes, yes, I can. And it tells me how to fix it. It's fantastic. It works more often than it doesn't work. Thirdly, what I've picked up is there has been some discrepancies between Guru Focus's data and Stock Doctor's data. And in the couple of instances that I've come through, and I've only looked at a couple of stocks this week, uh, and there was problems in both of them, it turns out it was Stock Doctor, I'm pretty sure, that had the data problem. Just in case anyone's interested in these particular stocks, one is IMA, which has been at the top of our buy list forever. Stock Doctor is showing a 90% reduction in its market cap starting 2022, which the ASX and IMA's own website doesn't show and Guru Focus didn't have. They went from like, I don't know, I think it was like 150 million shares on issue down to like 12 million shares on issue, which is going to have an impact on its score in our buy list, right? If it's, you know, when we're looking at things like equity per share and stuff like that. So um, I flagged that with uh, Stock Doctor, Victor Di Pasquale, and he's looking into that. And the other one I picked up is N1H, which is also up at the top of our buy list. Stock Doctor shows a drop in their shares on issue from 86.5 million down to 25 million, but the ASX has them at 88 million as does Guru Focus. So I think Stock Doctor's got some data integrity issues. I might be wrong. I'll wait till Victor comes back to me, but um, that uh, may change some things. Yeah, I had a similar problem last year. Remember I bought News Corp because they um, it came onto the buy list and it turned out they had the wrong number of shares in Stock Doctor. So look, they're not immune. I imagine there are errors in Guru Focus too. I'm not that familiar with it, but yeah, if something looks strange, it's worth checking out. Were there any share consolidations or buybacks for those two stocks you mentioned? Not that I could see. I went through the announcements on Stock Doctor. And again, I looked at the ASX and I looked at I looked at AMA's website. I don't think I looked at M1H's. I just took the ASX number. But yeah, Guru Focus tends to agree with the ASX on both of those and Stock Doctor's in disagreement. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah, well, that's not good. Hopefully Stock Doctor can fix it. We can talk about this later, but I'd be interested to know what you're doing for financial health and Guru Focus, because I had a look at it last year and couldn't um, come to a conclusion that got me close to the Australia or the Stock Doctor financial health ratings. Well, they have their own ratings for those sorts of things, and I'm testing those out. My thesis at the moment is that 
it doesn't really matter if their scoring is different to stock doctors if the stack ranking of those scores is similar. So if they give it a strong or weak or stable, and I can score them on that as long as, you know, when at the end of the day it's giving it a similar sort of score because that's what we care about, right, is improving, declining, strong, weak, those sorts of things. Guru Focus have their own metrics that they're measuring. I can't remember what they're called. Like the Yeah, it had Z scores and the whole yeah, lot of different scores. other versions of that. So or Z scores as they call it. But yeah, when I ran when I ran my tests it was coming out with different results compared to Stock Doctor. And that's where I put it aside. I haven't tested it much further than that. Yeah, I'm working my way through that and I'm just trying to, you know, at the end of the day, if I can get a similar sort of list as an output to our list, I think then I'm on the right track. But anyway, but some of these things are really throwing, like the redu- the differences in market caps and the differences in shares on issues been throwing me for a bit of a loop this week. Well, maybe we should suggest to Stock Doctor that they institute some kind of quality control where they, they might be able to run a download from the ASX and compare it to their data provider. Because I'd be fairly sure that the errors with whoever provides their data probably more than what they've done to the data when it arrives at Stock Doctor, but who knows. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite, That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you but uh, you know while he's not <laughs> we can do this so check that out qavpodcast.com.au slash light l-i-g-h-t that's it if you don't want to sign up to any of those just keep listening to the free episodes and if you have any questions uh, shoot me an email you find that on our website too all right have a great week and good luck with your investing the qav podcast is a production of space Craft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. 